live and local. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. Streaming live on 1037 The Game mobile app and online at 1037thegame.com. This is the Jordy Holtberg Show. Hey, baby, we're going to be here all day. Call us up at 337-706-0111. I like this kind of party. Now, here's your host, Jordy Holtberg. A great good afternoon and welcome. This is uh, the Tuesday, June 7th edition of the Jordy Holtberg Show. My main man, James Mesh, back in the master control suite in the game studios, which are on the campus of Delta Media, which houses KLWB, which is 1037 Lafayette. We're also at 1041 in Lake Charles. Simul, uh, we are streaming 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. And uh, in the Acadiana area, we are simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. It is great to be with you. Reality has struck the clock struck midnight and the carriage turned back into a pumpkin. The horses turned back into mice and LSU's baseball season was over. LSU's lead was uh, intact in the sixth inning, but at that time off into the distance in the LSU bullpen and a harbinger of things to come, the Tiger picture threw a warm-up pitch in the dirt that was scooped up by the catcher. Then came another throw. This time, this picture launched it several feet high and to the left of the bullpen catcher's glove. The ball flew down the right field line, rolled toward home plate, interrupting play for a few minutes. LSU was winning 4-3, to three, but they were holding on by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin as tight as they could, fighting, clawing its way, just trying to get the win and get to a super regional. But LSU's pitching staff wouldn't be able to keep this thing together. LSU wouldn't be able to overcome its big flaw. In the seventh, leading four to three, Jacob Hasty was pulled after seven pitches. Devin Fontenot was pulled after three batters. And Bryce Collins was pulled after three himself. Four pitchers, four Southern Miss runs. And even some late LSU heroics tied the game in the eighth. Southern Miss scored again in the top of the ninth to put it all to bed. And LSU's first season under Jake Johnson ended in Hattiesburg on a Monday night. Oh, what a what a Hattiesburg Super Regional it's going to be as the Ole Miss Rebels. So much talk about their coach, Mike Bianco being out the door, underachieving, and now here they are in the Super Regional. LSU had one of the best offenses in the country, ranking number two in the SEC in scoring, number three in home runs. It had the potential number one overall Major League Baseball draft pick in third baseman Jacob Berry, and perhaps next year's number one overall in center fielder Dylan Cruz. Two or three more Hitters will likely be drafted in the first two rounds. They could put up 10 runs on the best teams in the country, but unfortunately they could give up 10 just as easily. 
So how how would you rate that season? How would you rate it? Boy, they showed a lot of fight. They showed a lot of determination. Johnson inherited a program that didn't have a single player and made it to the College World Series at LSU the first time LSU had gone four years without an Omaha trip since 1985. He also inherited a team that just lost multiple star pictures to the draft and without any coming in. His eventual weekend rotation was filled with arms normally slotted for the bullpen or midweek games against lower conference opponents. That's what it was. So you cannot fault the head coach for this. He has got to go out. He's got to hit the portal. He's got to do whatever he can. He's got to find pictures. We had um, one of the all-time great LSU players, Todd Walker, say, look, it's hitting's one thing, but postseason play is all about pitching. All about pitching. So we'll delve into that today. Glenn West was in Hattiesburg. He will uh, share his thoughts on this LSU baseball season coming up in a few minutes. Blake Topmeyer, USA Today, is also on our guest list in the first hour. Uh, we'll talk all things from scheduling in the SEC. And if they do the the nine-game schedule, three regular um, every-year matchups and six rotating, who would be LSU's? three set in stone teams. There's a lot of debate that could happen with this, a lot of debate. Um, and we'll, we'll share his thoughts on what he believes. And I'll give you my thoughts uh, as well on that. In our number two, uh, Bob Rose of the saints news network will join us as well as he does each and every Tuesday for the black and gold report. Uh, other headlines, Tiger Woods is going to skip the U S open says he's just not strong enough. Uh, he wants to take some time off, get back, uh, and play the Open Championship at St. Andrews. Speaking of the U.S. Open, they will accept the players that are playing in the Live Tour. Dustin Johnson has left the PGA Tour to play in that tour that gets underway this week. Phil Mickelson playing in that as well. But the U.S. Open will accept Phil and all eligible golfers uh, to come back and play in the tournament next week. So the USGA decision uh, puts the open nature of the championship over a player's decision to play in the Saudi-funded rival league. Um, so the U.S. opens June 16th through the 19th at the country club outside Boston. Uh, both have said they plan to play the third major of the year. So that's a big uh, debate going on as well. Um, LSU, in another opportunity to, to raise money to do what they need to do, they announced yesterday after we went off the air uh, that they are launching a subscription-based streaming service called LSU Gold. That will feature behind-the-scenes documentary series, in-depth interviews, premium podcasts, and more. This platform goes live August 1st. August 1st will include a series that follows head coach Brian Kelly's inaugural year in Baton Rouge, documenting his arrival in December through the 2022 season. Um, 
It's going to cost you $8.99 a month for this. Uh, so are you are you interested in ponying up $9 a month to see these LSU features? Um, LSU's in-house athletics department production team known as South Stadium Productions will be in charge of this. So LSU is doing everything they can in-house, trying to generate as much revenue as they can in a variety of ways. And not the first. Um, Notre Dame has done this. Maryland, Oklahoma State, Clemson, Arkansas. Uh, but they're trying to generate money however they can. So I'm curious to see if you are interested in, in doing so. In doing so. So um, we shall see. Back to the... Um, the Hattiesburg Regional, Tyler McManus, Dylan Cruz, Josh Pearson, Cade Doty uh, were named to the all-tournament team for the regional. Uh, they just couldn't get it done. They went to the well so many times, and it just never panned out in the finale. Um, congrats to former LSU All-American linebacker Brady James, one of 80 players from the FBS selected to appear on the 2023 ballot for induction into the college football Hall of Fame. He holds the LSU single-season record for tackles with 154, ranks number two in school history in career tackles with 418. Uh, he was a standout in the classroom. He was selected to the prestigious National Football Foundation Scholar-Athlete class in 2002, becoming only the eighth player in LSU history with that distinction. So best of luck to friend of our program, uh, Brady James, we wish him all the very, very best. We have got a birthday party coming up here. It's the game's birthday, and this is your invitation to party with us as we celebrate 10 years of being Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Join us at Buffalo Wild Wings on Ambassador Caffrey on Wednesday, June 22nd. There'll be delicious wings, amazing door prizes, and you'll get to meet us some of your favorite personalities. Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh will be broadcasting live from the party, so join us at B-Dubs on Wednesday, June 22nd, 5 o'clock to 9 p.m. for the game's 10th birthday bash. Glad to see us doing that. That's good. Uh, the leaps and bounds this station has grown from my first day 10 years ago to now is astonishing, and the leadership from top to bottom has really been remarkable. You know, you have to, you have to go through certain things. You have to weed certain things in and out to get to where you want to be. And I think this station is absolutely in the right direction um, and keeps getting better and better. And that comes from ownership management, um, putting the resources together to allow us to do what we do to the very best of our ability each and every day. So proud to be a part of it. Come celebrate with us Wednesday, June 22nd from 5 to 9 p.m. It's the game's 10th birthday bash. All right, we will take our first time out of the day. We're brought to you today by ShopRite Tobacco Plus Discount Outlet. 60 of them in southern and central Louisiana. If you can't shop right at ShopRite, you can't shop right at all. Um, Glenn West from 247 Sports will recap this LSU baseball season next here on the Jordy Heltberg Show. We're on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for LSU sports. 
big shooters shoot. He's a man who shoots from the hip, and a man who's hip when he shoots. And no one shoots more from the hip when it comes to sports talk than the Blonde Bomber. Back to more of the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hi, we welcome you back at 17 minutes after the hour. Uh, Glenn West from 247 Sports, kind enough to join us as we try to recap this this LSU baseball season that ended with the Tigers losing to Southern Miss 8-7. to The Tigers are 40-22 and overall. Glenn, good afternoon, buddy. Thank you. I know you you had a late night and a, and a busy ride back and lots of work to do, but we greatly appreciate the time, man. How you doing? Absolutely, Jordy. I appreciate it. It was a long, long day, long weekend, but, you know, happy to be back and, you know, kind of get back into a little, little bit more recruiting and a little bit more football and, of course, a little bit more baseball, too. So that, that it's a lot of fun. So frustrating, um, just watching helplessly. LSU just couldn't throw strikes. They no. couldn't. They kept putting the leadoff hitter on every inning, and inning after inning, and that's going to rear its ugly head and bite you in the butt before it's all said and done in the seventh inning. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, it was kind of a theme of the entire weekend. Um, to be honest, the, the pitching really kind of. Kind of let them down in a big way, I think. Uh, you know, obviously, you can even go back to that first game on Friday where they were down 11-4 to in the yeah. eighth inning and took a magical 10-run eighth inning there to get them back into that game. It took them a you know, five-run ninth inning to get them back into the you – know, or four-run ninth inning to get them back into the game on Saturday against uh, against Southern Miss. And, um, you know, it, it, you're, you're absolutely right. The pitchers just weren't able to throw strikes. They weren't able to get – guys you know to to consistently get them through three four innings um you know they, they they made four pitching changes in that seventh inning yesterday and 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 just trying to find anything to get them out and they just couldn't couldn't figure it out but you know i did think that they they showed some growth offensively i think a lot of these players really uh rose to the occasion this weekend um you know dylan cruz josh pearson um jordan thompson had some really big moments kate yep. doty was really good um, there, there's a lot of players that I think offensively you can really kind of hang your hat on next year too that are going to be back with this program. So um, it, it's going to be a, a fun, you know, interesting off season. I think obviously the, you know, the, the expectations at LSU are always Omaha, and so a, a regional exit I think is something that's not going to be uh, tolerated year in year out in Baton Rouge. So um, there's no doubt. You know, after we spoke with Jay on, on on Monday, they've got work to do, and they understand that. And I think a lot of it's going to be centered on uh, you know trying to rebuild this pitching staff. No question. Uh, to be honest with you, their weekend starters were basically in the past that would be players coming out of the bullpen or players that would be pitching on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night against far, far inferior opposition, just to be brutally honest. Yeah. Look, I mean, they, they, I mean, they, 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 they got some pretty good consistency out of McHale in the past. I think McHale is a guy who's proven over his you know career that he can be a, a, an SEC starter, probably not a Friday night guy, but thank you. Uh, yeah. He's a, he's an SEC starter. He can get you through, you know, five, six innings of some pretty clean baseball, but yeah, they, they were really missing that Alex Lang, that Jared Poche, that Aaron Nola. I mean, they were they they were they they didn't have much in that in that regard, and they just had some really inconsistent um, inconsistency, you know, throughout that rotation. Blake Money got off to such a great start, and then by the time SEC play rolls around, he's you know getting hit and not 
not really getting you through, you know, two or three innings even. And then, you know, obviously Ty Floyd was another name that was kind of hot and cold this year. He had a, a nice kind of bounce back here at the end of the season. I thought he pitched pretty well uh, over the last couple of weeks, but you, know, you got to be able to have more than just two guys that you can rely on as a starter. And um, it was just, it was, it was rough. And, you know, for a bullpen that had been really consistent for most of the season, I think that was probably the most, uh, you know, kind of the, the 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 moment maybe got a little too big for some of those guys. You know, a lot of those pitchers were transfers, guys who had not pitched in those kinds of moments before, and uh, I think it kind of showed. You know, over the weekend, tip of the hat to Southern Miss, but they they were good. <laughs> they 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 did what they had to do. Their pitching was strong. They came up with timely hits. So you got to tip your cat to them. Of uh of the main players, who do you anticipate LSU losing? Is Jacob Berry gone? Yeah, I would expect Barry and Doty to be the two big ones they lose this this offseason. Barry is a projected first round pick. Bear, um, Doty's probably going to go in the top two rounds somewhere. And, you know, that's just kind of too much money for those guys sure. to turn down in college. So I would expect those are the two big guys to be gone. Um, not sure, honestly, outside of, you know, just kind of running down, you know, Pearson, Cruz. Um, Morgan, they're all back. Morgan, they're all back. But really, outside of that, there's a lot of uncertainty with what you know the positional players are going to look like. Um, you know, I think you know you can obviously expect some guys to move on, some guys to hit the portal, because uh, I do think that you know Coach Johnson and that staff really feel like they're getting an elite recruiting class in here this year. I think they have some guys pegged in the transfer portal that they're really going to be going hard after. Um, so it you know after those kind of three. Three guys, maybe Jordan Thompson returns, maybe he doesn't. I'm not exactly sure on him, but um, maybe Gavin Dugas returns. He's got a year left um, with the injury eligibility and mm-hmm. kind of the, you know the COVID year. So you know he obviously had an injury this year that kind of hampered his season. Maybe he comes back, um, but you know outside of that, there's a lot of uncertainty about what the future of the position players looks like mm-hmm. uh, outside of those three or four players. If you got Pearson, Cruz, and Morgan, that that's a pretty good start. That's a strong they're, foundation. They're a pretty good offensive uh, offensive ball club. You got you got to get pitching. I don't know how you're going to find it. I don't know if you hit the portal. If you go, I don't know which. That's their job. And I I, I could sense from his post game. I've never heard a coach just come right out and say it. We need we need to pitch better. We need pictures. Yep. yep. No, I I agree. I think that's going to be a huge emphasis for them in the portal. I think. Uh, you know, Brody Miller wrote it up in the Athletic today that they have 13 pitchers signed to this class. I think they expect as wow. many as nine to come on campus. So if you're wow. you're welcoming nine pitchers on campus this year, uh, potentially even a few more if some guys decide they really want to go to college, um, then that that's a complete overhaul of this pitching staff. And then you get into some really crazy numbers on who comes back from this year's staff. And uh, I'm just not sure who does, honestly. What kind of grades you give Jake Johnson first year head coach? You know, I think I think a solid B, B plus. You know, I think you know, like we said, the the regional exit is not something that I think is tolerated in in Baton Rouge, and so you know it. it but you know, at the same time, they they dealt with a lot of adversity. They had a lot of guys get injured throughout the year. They were playing pretty banged up. Trey Morgan was playing through a knee injury most of the season. Um, obviously, Barry with the broken hand, and right. and Dugas had a broken finger, and. Uh, you know, a lot of these you know pitchers really kind of got worn down towards the end of the season. And, you know, I think, you know, if you're looking at it from a purely offensive standpoint, it would be a it would be an A because I do think that Johnson came in and really gave this team a really consistent offense, guys that were really tough minded by the end of the season. Um, but the defense, defense and the pitching, not good. 
defense and pitching were just um, so inconsistent for you that it, it kind of led to this result and kind of kept you from hosting. And then it, then it obviously trickled down into the regional this last weekend. So yeah. um, they, they would be the first to tell you, though, this staff, that they have a lot of work to do. Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to hold it against him about the pitching that he inherited. Right. Uh, but I think a lot of people will kind of cast a leery eye as far as their defensive fielding possessions, a bit the lowest since 2007, and yeah. that never got any better. And, boy, it reared its ugly head yesterday with Fontenot not being able to field a, a little short bunt grounder that, you know, right. and then things kind of snowballed out of control from there. Yeah, that, that was one of them. And then, obviously, the night before where they really had an opportunity to take you know, that game before not, you know, not allowing that game to Monday to even happen. There were a couple of misplays, misplayed balls in left field and yes, uh, a couple of, you know, kind of, you know, difficult throws that they had to make in the infield, but still some that you think you feel like you can make as a college player. So they, okay. they've got to shore that defense up for sure. And, um, you know, I, th I think they're, they're expecting a, a couple of these freshmen to come in here and be ready to play right away. They have some really talented guys, Gavin Gidry, who's, uh, obviously a, a Louisiana you know legend right now in high school you know baseball just won Louisiana player of the year and is a really 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 solid infielder I think he can come in and play uh, as soon as next year and I think they're hoping to get him on campus we're 89 days away from the the college football opener for LSU um, against Florida State in Caesars Superdome and our good friends from DraftKings came out with their win projections for the SEC teams and they got LSU Right in the middle with seven wins. Seven. Yep. I think LSU falls out of bed and wins eight. I'm, am I crazy? I, I don't think you're crazy. And I think all you have to really do is look at the track record of Coach Kelly. Um, you know, he's obviously been been through the ringer. Obviously, he's never had, you know, made such a big jump from, you know, as obviously into the SEC. But teams that he's taken over before, Grand Valley State, you know, uh, you know Cincinnati, Notre Dame, they all won at least eight games in his first his first year. So he knows how to do a quick turnaround. He knows how to have some early success with teams. And I do think LSU can get to that eight, nine win margin. I think that's not totally out of the, the realm of possibility. Um, you know, it, just kind of diving into the schedule a little bit, you know, I think they should be favored in most of their conference games. They got, uh, or not, uh, I, I should say most of their non-conference games, not really the conference games, right. but um, you know, the, 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 you know, the matchup against Tennessee, I think is going to be a very interesting one. That's kind of the, the rotating year. They, they got to play Tennessee this year. And, and then all the, all the, all the normal guys, you know, Mississippi state, Auburn, I think are two games that you can certainly have, um, go either way. Yeah. Yeah. A&M yeah. yeah. is, a and is going to be difficult. Uh, yeah. Bama is going to be difficult. Ole Miss is going to be difficult, but, um, you know, LSU plays those teams pretty well year in and year out. Um, and so it's going to be very interesting to see kind of how this all shakes out. But I think they have a roster that can certainly compete this year. I can't make any judgment until I know who the quarterback is. Right. <laughs> I, yeah, I really excellent. can't. Absolutely yeah, I really can't. No. Let yeah. me ask you this. If, if the SEC goes to the nine-game schedule with three permanent and six rotating, who would you like to see the three permanent teams on LSU schedule? Yeah, so I think you got to stick with classic Ole Miss. I think that's one that you got to have in there. Um, and and A and M is one that I think I would probably want in there. And then I've been going back and forth on this, but I can't I can't not have Florida in there. I think that's you know year in year out, Florida is just oh. an absolute uh, home run game. Home You're run tired game. of playing Alabama every year. You're tired yeah, of. Well, it. I think a lot of LSU fans would be on board with that. You know, I think um, you know that 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 might be a good thing for them, but. 
uh, yeah, look, Florida, I mean, you know, in the last, I think I did the math, you know, the last 15 games they played, I think only three have been decided by more than one score in the last 15 years. So they, they're, they're, they're certainly the tightest team in terms of just year in, year out, how fun the game is and how close it is. And uh, I, I would be very, you know, I think it would be a, a, a poor thing to not have Florida in the rotation every year. You can argue so many other teams. What do you do about oh, yeah. the boot with Arkansas? Right. Um, the LSU-Alabama game, ratings bonanza, year in, year out. Um, it's, uh, so, yeah, th- th- it's not an easy task no. for those making the decision, uh, but I think that's a decision that's going to have to be made, and I think it's going to be made sooner than later. Because I, no. I really don't believe that Texas and Oklahoma are going to wait till 2025 to get into this conference. I, I, yeah. It's not going to be this year. But it certainly could be next year. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't put anything past those two teams trying to get into the, the conference as soon as possible. You know, in terms of just the Arkansas and the Alabama argument, you know, I think if anything, you know, the Arkansas game, it would kind of shed a little bit more prestige on the on the golden boot doing it every two or three years. You know, there's okay. just a lot more to play for. In that I'm with situation. you. I'm with you. Because it just it feels like, you know, if you're playing the same – the same trophy every year it kind of gets a little bogged down and so doing it every two or three years actually makes a lot of sense to me um bama yeah the ratings are going to ultimately dictate you know just who <laughs> who gets bama every year and you know bama has a couple of, of really formidable uh you know rivalries themselves with you know the auburns of the world and and all that yeah. stuff so yeah it's going to be interesting i i do like though the old miss texas a&m florida kind of deal so okay we'll see we'll see we'll see we'll see glenn west um What's next on the agenda? I mean, everything's kind of come to a screeching halt. What the, yeah. I guess recruiting starts to heat up. Lots of recruiting. They got uh, a couple, you know, several camps over the next couple of weeks here at LSU. They're going to be welcoming a bunch of bunch of recruits on campus for visits, for camps, for you know everything. You know, I think this is going to be a really big, important next several weeks for the coaching staff to make their pitches to the, the the recruits and kind of have them on board with their families and so that's what we'll be doing i think that'll be probably centered the, the focus we got the the manning camp at the end of the month too which is always fun going to the manning passing academy mm-hmm. and meeting up with some of the college quarterbacks and getting to talking with that family it's a lot of fun so uh yeah uh, we we'll we'll still be busy for sure we'll find something to write about won't it be interesting to see if an LSU quarterback or two or three get invited to the Manning camp, and if if not three, then two, and then who's left out? Eh, that'll be interesting, right? That'll be a lot. I mean, look, last year it was Brennan and it was um, uh, Max Johnson who were invited, yeah. and you know, up until that day, we were told that they were going to be there, and then we get there and they're not there. So that's, right. um, that's going to be very interesting. I would, I would. Expect Brennan to get another invite. I would expect Jaden Daniels, a veteran quarterback, to get an invite. But who knows who shows up? I'm not mm. sure. They might send Walker Howard out there for all I know. There I- you go. Glenn West, 247 Sports. You're the best. Welcome back, and uh, thank you as always. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jordan. All right, buddy. Take care. That's Glenn. Good job. Good job as always. If you want to see the Astros in person, listen up. The game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with our latest Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Chicago White Sox Saturday, June 18th. You can be there. Register in the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations. That's Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher AC, Le Meridian, Houston downtown, and the game, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for Astros baseball. 
We're brought to you today by ShopRite Tobacco Plus Discount Outlets. When we return, Blake Topmeyer, USA Today, will share his thoughts on scheduling in the SEC and football plus minuses. How many games does he think the Tigers are going to win? That's coming up next. Stay with us. Jordy Holtenberg is known far and wide as the Blonde Bomber. For the perfectly feathered golden mane he rocked back in the day at LSU. Just let your soul the hair may not be as golden or as long, but Jordy is still making a name for himself. Back to more of the Jordy Holtberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. And we are back in the league that just means more. Tennessee, Auburn, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Arkansas, five teams still involved out of the 16 total in the NCAA Baseball Super Regionals. We're joined now by our good friend who is the um, does a great job as the SEC columnist for the USA Today Network, uh, Mr. Blake Topmeyer. Blake, good afternoon, my friend. How have you been? I've been great. Yeah, just got back uh, from a trip to Florida last week, was down in Destin, for the spring meeting, so yeah. a little balance some work with some some sunshine and sand. Nice, 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 nice. Do those coaches can they go out on the beach and just be normal people, or do they do they just stay away from all that because people will just uh, flock around them and bother the heck out of them? You know, I wish I could tell you the answer to that, but I don't know because, like a peasant, I cannot afford to stay at the Hilton <laughs> Sandestin where the meetings yes. go on. I was I was across the way at the uh, Residence Inn, and uh, I did not have access to the same beach uh, gotcha. that they have access to at the Hilton Sandestin there. So I don't really know. I, 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 I was not uh, on their same stretch of sand, so maybe they were out there, uh, you know, playing a game of beach volleyball. I, I wouldn't have known it. What is going to, Blake, what is going to be the one thing that does not allow the SEC to play a nine-game schedule? It seems to me it's a no-brainer to play nine. What would be the negative of that, in your opinion? I mean, the only negative would be for struggling coaches who are worried about losing an extra game and getting fired sooner. Like, I mean, really, as you go through it, that's, to me, that's the only argument against not doing this is if you're a struggling coach, a struggling program, and you think, oh, I, you know, we need to be playing an extra game against Ball State and one fewer SEC games so we can right. get to six and six and play in the Birmingham Bowl. Well, as we all know, um, you know, if you're a struggling coach, yeah, we, beating Ball State is not going to save your job. Exactly. You know, if the difference between being being fired and not is, is a win over Ball State, well, I'm sorry, you're going to get fired anyway. So there's not <laughs> a good right. argument for, for not doing it, frankly. Um, um, I mean, the yeah. Big Ten has, has done this for years, played a nine-game conference schedule. And, and, oh, by the way, a lot of Big Ten teams don't play FCS opponents either that's right uh, that's the big right. 12 for years has done a nine game conference schedule i mean i know some could say well what about the years where you play five sec road games because every other year in a nine game schedule you'd play five games on the road well that's fine you play your four sec home games and as a schedule maker in those years you just ensure that you schedule three non-conference home games so you'd still have seven home games you just have to work a little harder at it uh, if you're the one 
drawn up your non-conference schedule. There's no good arguments for it. Um, I think it's just the weaklings in the conference that, uh, you know, would like to see it stand at eight conference games. But are you really going to kowtow to, to those teams? I, I don't think so. Right. Very good point. Um, I, I'm curious, Blake Topmeyer, USA uh, Today Network covering the SEC. I, I mean, I wouldn't want to be the person that had to make the decision if they go to a nine-game three every year team and then six rotating how do you determine who those three are because you make an argument just for for lsu's sake for instance um there's the Ole miss rivalry uh there's the force fed lsu arkansas for the golden boot there's the texas a&m rivalry uh there's alabama which is always a ratings uh bonanza for television uh so it, you, there's another some people want to keep the florida option available because uh, it's been a great rivalry as well great matchup so how they decide what three teams you're going to play each year year in and year out man that's that's a struggle it is and and i think people will quickly realize if they try to you know if you try to mock this up and draw it up i have tried to do it and i've, I've come up with a couple formats that, that i like under this three six method but i think as people try to do it they'll quickly realize it's not going to be about preserving each team's top three rivals. Because if you go down the line and preserve each team's top three rivals, uh, well, for one thing, like, you know, if you're Arkansas, you know, maybe you're, you consider LSU among your top three rivals. But if you're LSU, maybe you don't consider Arkansas right. exactly. among your top three rivals. Like, it's impossible to do, and sacrifices are going to have to be made to make the puzzle fit. I mean, some schools, you know, maybe they don't have really three rivals in, in the SEC. I mean, look at Missouri. Tell me who their three rivals are. Yeah, you know, can't and, do it. You know, I mean, maybe you could say Arkansas, maybe Oklahoma, but you don't get much further than that. So I think you're going to have to have some compromise here. There is going to have to be at least some effort to make sure that one school doesn't get loaded up with you know, with three juggernauts as its as its rivals, and and another school gets uh, three nobodies as as its yeah. rivals. But I do think, I think the thing you can do in that three six model is not only can you preserve the top rivalries, but I think you can preserve the most important number two rivals for for each school. Um, you know, I think in in the case of uh, you know, let's say LSU, you know, maybe. Maybe in a three-six model, you keep the LSU Alabama going. If it's if it's a one-seven model where you only preserve one rivalry game every year, I don't think you're not going to have that because you're going to have Alabama playing in in the Iron Bowl. Auburn, um, right. yeah, ab- absolutely. And so I do think you can keep some of those second-tier rivalries. Where I think you have to make some hard decisions then is is drawing the line after that second tier and saying, okay, you get your first, your top two rivals, maybe. After that, we have to have some nimbleness and some willingness to maybe compromise and, and maybe have some fairness in scheduling and, and make the, the rest of these puzzle pieces fit. Um, but absolutely, you're going to lose some rivalries on an annual basis, uh, regardless of, of which of these two models you choose. But I do think the three six, I mean, certainly it allows you to keep more rivalries, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, let's just think. You know, with Texas and Oklahoma join, coming into the league, let's use them as, as a for instance. You know, in a one-seven model, uh, I would assume you're going to have Texas and Oklahoma playing each other every year. 
that means Texas and Texas A&M are not playing each other right. every year. No In a 3-6 yeah. model, I think you could keep both of those games. Uh, yeah. But I do agree. You know, at some point for a school like LSU, I mean, LSU, they have like six rivals, it seems like. You know, yeah. you're going you're gonna to lose some of those games, well, at, a, at least on an annual basis. There's a bunch of them. You know, Florida, Georgia, um, Florida, Tennessee. I, I mean, you know, to, to to Tennessee fans, the Alabama rivalry is is something um, nationwide. Maybe LSU Alabama is more appealing than Alabama Tennessee. You know what I mean? No, I do. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think even Tennessee fans, some of them would say. Oh, if we could get rid of Alabama, that that that'd be all right. Yeah. But but the older yeah. fans, the ones that are are old enough to remember a time when um you know when Tennessee actually won that game uh, sometimes, and and there were stretches where Tennessee you know enjoyed a, a pretty good run of success. They they don't want to see that game end, and um and in a three six model, you could probably keep that going. I mean, I think you know if you if you play this out for Alabama again in the one seven model, it's going to be Auburn. If it Correct. goes the three six model. I think you could make a case for Alabama that you could have Auburn, LSU, and Tennessee as their three rivals. Now that's mm-hmm. that's pretty tough, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I do think there's going to be a couple teams in that three-six model that have, um, you know, three pretty tough rivals that they're they're going to have to play every year. And of course, if you've been playing in the SEC West, you're you're used to playing a tough schedule uh, anyway. And you know, you look at uh, you know you look at uh, Georgia as another one. I think. You know, in a three-six model, you're you're able to keep Florida, Georgia, obviously going every year, but then you're also able to preserve uh, that Auburn and Georgia game. Now, maybe right. then as Georgia's third rival, if you say, well, they have to play Florida, they have to play Auburn. You know, maybe you give them a South Carolina, someone who's not you know of that same ilk. I think there right. is that that balancing act. You know, I think for LSU. You know, if you're going to give LSU Alabama, uh, maybe you keep the Ole Miss rivalry going and and maybe yeah. you know Ole Miss is coming off of a of a really really good season obviously but you know they would not be considered and if you're dividing the conference into haves and have-nots um I think in all fairness Ole Miss would fall into the have-nots category yeah. so you throw LSU a bone there for having to play Alabama maybe every year in a 3-6 model it is you know somebody's not going to get their way some rival right. rivalries are going to have to fall by the wayside I guess the beauty is either way you do it you would at least play everybody once every two years. So you're not going to go long stretches uh, between games. But it is going to be a shame because there are going to be at least a few rivalries um, that we wish we could see continue every year that I I just don't think is going to happen. Blake Topmeyer, USA Today, uh, covering the SEC. When you ask coaches to give something like that, uh, to take something like that, normally they want to give something in return. So – you play nine conference games, that leaves you three other games. Please don't tell me they're going to play three cupcakes. Are they going to keep the one uh, group of five, I mean, power five um, matchup, and then the two, whatever they want to do, rent a wins? Is that how it's going to work? Yeah, it's going to be Cupcake Central. That's, that's going to be an option. It, it sounds like all the discussion down in Destin from last week was if of course, the SEC hasn't decided on anything yet, but <laughs> but if they go to this three six model, the compromise is that you would have the option of playing three cupcakes. You wouldn't have Ugh. to play a power five in your non conference. Now we heard some people say required or not required, 
we're going to play a Power 5 opponent in the non-conference anyway. Florida was one who was adamant about that. We heard from Florida Athletic Director Scott Strickland, and he said, I don't care if you require us or you don't require us. Florida's going to play a minimum of one Power 5 opponent in its non-conference every year, and, and that would obviously be important in keeping that rivalry going with Florida State. And so yes. I do think your better schools in the conference, I mean, it would be a Frankly, it would be embarrassing, and it would be a sign of you know you don't you don't really think you you deserve to be in the college football playoff conversation if you don't think you can win you know a marquee non conference game. I, I just I don't see the likes of uh, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, uh, Florida, Auburn on down the line. I don't think those types of schools are going to be ducking um, playing a, a Power Five non conference game, even if it goes to a nine game conference schedule. Because again. You could look at your peers in the Big Ten and say, hey, they're playing nine conference games, and they're also you know, playing a marquee non-conference game. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're Vanderbilt, are you playing a, a Power Five non-conference opponent? Mm-hmm. Maybe not. No. Um, gotcha. you know, maybe there are a couple other schools in, in that category that say, hey, we're going to schedule ourselves uh, three cupcakes because we think uh, we're going to take our lumps in the, in the conference play. That, that option does seem like it's going to be available if it goes to a nine-game conference schedule. But I think more than half the league, um, you know, I think 10 to 12 teams in the SEC probably would still look to schedule a minimum of one Power 5 non-conference game every year. And I believe the power of the voice of the people has persuaded athletic departments. Um, Nobody wants to go see those games. Nobody's going to go – they're not going to go out of their way to – to show that's the games where they give it to their give the tickets away or they just stay home and go do something else because they know they're going to win and who care they want to see better opponents and I guarantee if you ask any player that puts on a uniform for any team we don't want to play ball no offense to ball state whoever we're going to talk about we want to play the best take I mean I was that way and playing basketball I didn't want to play these these rental win teams, let's play the best team. It's going to make us better overall. I understand the wins and losses and all that kind of stuff, but we expand the playoffs, right? Then you're, you have a little bit more leeway when it comes to how many losses you have. Yeah, you're exactly right, Jordan. And I think there would be a little more comfort around this if the playoff were already expanded. Um, yet nonetheless, like we hear all the time, coaches and administrators say, well, we put the student athletes first. Well, frankly, if you're putting the student-athletes first, this thing would be over and done with today. It'd be decided. You'd play a nine-game conference schedule. I mean, right. you know, how often you – know, I mean, you were talking about it there. How often don't we hear these athletes say one of the reasons, one of the top reasons they come to play in the SEC is they want to play against the best week in and week out. I don't think Absolutely. there's an SEC football player out there who would stand up and say, you know what, give me fewer conference games. Quite the opposite. They're going to say, we came here to challenge ourselves against the best. We came here to play in these types of games. Give us more of them. Give us more of these marquee non-conference yeah. games. That's, those are the games they want to play in. Uh, those are the games fans want to attend. And, yes. and you throw in athletic directors, those are the games that are easy to sell, easier to put butts in the seats. You know, we hear athletic directors all the time bemoan them the, the challenges of, of competing with 70-inch you know, ultra high def televisions and fans being able to to sit at home and and drink beer on their couch and watch the game and not have to deal with parking. How do you get them to come out to the stadium? The best way you can get fans to come out to the stadium is to actually schedule 
someone worth coming out to the stadium for. I don't blame uh, college. I mean, I get to I get paid to go to the games, but for someone who's paying for their seat um, and, and maybe doesn't have media parking like I do and has to right. has to pay for the food to the concession stands, I don't blame them for not wanting to to go out and and buy season tickets or even you know buy single game uh, tickets to these games that uh, you know the SEC team is favored yeah. by. 42 points. I wouldn't pay to go to those games either. I'd sit at home. I'm with you. I'd have three televisions going in my living room, um, and I'd be watching better football that, that's going on. <laughs> you want to put butts in the seats. Uh, yeah. You want to compete against 70-inch televisions. The, the best way to do that is to put a, a, an appealing opponent on the field. Blake, we got to run. I can't thank you enough. We're out of time. You're the best. Enjoy the, the rest of your week, buddy. Thank you so much. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks All for having right. me. We'll take a quick timeout. We'll be back to wrap up our number one next. Next Home Cutting Edge Realty is holding their annual loop day on Saturday at 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. The charity event benefits Canine Companions, which is a nonprofit that gives to those with dis- disabilities with dogs. The event will be located at Bollier Park Dog Park at 411 West Bluebird Drive in Lafayette. A food truck and Kona ice snow cone stand will be on site, plus music, treats, and prizes. All proceeds will be donated to Canine Companions. That's Next Home Cutting Edge Realty's Luke Day on June the 11th. Coming up, hour number two, it's uh, we're a day away from game three of the NBA Finals, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. And Bob Rose of the Saints News Network will join us for the Black and Gold Report, all things in the NFL. Aaron Donald just signed an extension. Does that make the Rams the favorite to win it again, go back-to-back? We'll discuss our number two, the Jordy Helper show on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the Astros and LSU sports. Live and local. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. Streaming live on 1037 The Game mobile app and online at 1037thegame.com. It is a touchdown! This is the Jordy Holberg Show. Hey, baby! We're going to be here all day! Call us up at 337-706-0111. I like this kind of party! Now, here's your host, Jordy Holberg. It's our number two of two, and away we go. Brought to you by ShopRite Tobacco Plus Discount Outlets. 60 of them in southern and central Louisiana with a very simple mission statement. Serving the community and seeing all the customers leave with a smile on their face. So whether your needs are fresh food, fuel, top shelf wines or spirits, or just a quick pit stop, ShopRite Tobacco Plus Discount Outlets look forward to serving you in their spacious stores that are filled with Louisiana products, in their modern restrooms that are always clean and comfortable, and with delicious food that's always fresh and always fast. If you can't shop right at ShopRite Tobacco Plus Discount Outlets, dude, you just can't shop right at all. Bob Rose of the Saints News Network will be joining us um in, in about 10 or 12 minutes, and we'll talk all things NFL. But, of course, LSU's baseball see, uh, season came to a uh, came to an end. A hard-fought, competitive game. Tick your cap to Southern Miss. Um, the Golden Eagles win it 8-7. to seven. They will host, for the first time ever, a Super Regional 
and their rival, the Ole Miss Rebels, will come to town. Uh, Jake Johnson, his opening statement after a very difficult, hard-fought season-ending loss. Yeah, um, great college baseball game. Congratulations to Coach Barry and their program, the lead, the lead pitching staff, and we just we couldn't hang with them in that regard. Very painful right now, so don't have a lot to say. Don't have a lot to say. What he said is, well, we got to get pitching. We have got to get pitching. Gavin Duga, um, his comments after the game. Uh, it's, it's hard to put into words right now. I'm, I'm proud of how we competed. You can't prepare for anything like this. This is the, this is the worst time of the year, watching your season come to end. But I'm proud of uh, how we did with this team and what we've had. And, I know that I'm going to have all those guys back for the rest of their lives. And I wish it could have went further. And I truly believe we could have, but it's baseball the way it is sometimes. Um, but I'm just proud of this team. How proud of how we played today. Of course, Dugas hit the um, the home run in the eighth inning to tie the score at seven apiece. Southern Miss would get one run in the top of the ninth to win it eight to seven. A part of the uh, all-tournament team, Dylan Cruz, who went one for three, in the ball game, uh, shared his thoughts after um, a very emotional loss. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's obviously very tough right now. You know, I'm kind of at a loss for words, but um, you know, we uh, we gave it our we gave it all we had. You know, just there was never a thought in my mind that we were going to lose that game. Or you know, it's just that's a great program. We got. Great arms, great players all around, great coaches. So it's just, it's, I'm at a loss for words right now, but you know, it's, it sucks. Um, it just wasn't our time, I guess. Pitching let them down. There's no ifs, ands, buts, maybes about it. Um, that's just the way it is. Um, Jake Johnson, one more time, um, in his words, summed up the 2022 LSU baseball team. Um, yeah, it's tough. Um, I'd prefer he had not answered or asked me that question. Um, don't, don't know how I feel about him. Um, clearly, um, you know, I mean, I hit the ground running when this thing happened and the first pieces were Gavin, you know, Devin McHale. And I, I just, I shudder to think where this team would have ended up without those guys. And, um, I'm very honored to have gotten to coach them. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with, with Gavin, but I'd love to have him back on our team next year. And, um, you know, they mean a lot to me. Like, I, this is, when I said painful, this is this is deep pain, as bad as it is for me. And I, I know it means you're living a pretty good life if losing a baseball game hurts that bad, but it, it really does. And a lot of it is because of uh, these guys. I mean, I my feet hit the ground every single day with excitement, you know, to get to coach this team and you know I, I we're gonna talk with two of them when we get back to the hotel i mean honestly i was not prepared to lose the game like i had full belief that we were gonna win today so i need to formulate my thoughts so i you know honor the the way that they competed today with those thoughts and i just wasn't ready to do that 30 seconds after that game because until the last strike i believed we were gonna win and i knew how hellacious of a accomplishment that would have been um you know to come in here and, and do that I'm just really proud of the way they competed today. Sums it all up. 
competed like crazy. Um, but if you can't throw strikes, uh, you're going to be in, in a lot of trouble. And um, in, the, in what was going to be a transition year for LSU baseball, um, I, I thought it was a pretty good year. I really do. I, I thought, um, boy, just, just their attitude, their never-say-die approach, um, it was, it was really, really good, but last night's top of the seventh kind of summed it all up because LSU's pitching staff just couldn't, they couldn't hold it together. They just couldn't keep it together in that one inning alone. Jacob hasty was pulled after seven pitches. Devin Fontenot was pulled after three batters. Bryce Collins was pulled after three himself, four pitchers. Four Southern Miss runs. Couldn't throw strikes. Inning after inning after inning, LSU pitchers would walk the leadoff hitter, put them on base, some fielding errors. And you go to that well one too many times, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back and get you and get you big time. So we'll see what this team looks like uh, next year. Who knows? Um, but as Jake Johnson sat stone faced in his post game news conference, he was asked about what LSU would do to make sure it improved the weakness of pitching. And Johnson answered it about the only way he could. And the best way to quietly tell us the truth. He said, I respect the question, but I'm not going to answer it right now. I have work to do. Pitching coach Jason Kelly has work to do. He was kind of telling us without telling us, LSU needs to find better pitching. You don't have to be a Rhodes Scholar to figure that one out. But he inherited what he inherited, and now we got to give him a chance to go get the right players. And I don't think there's going to be a problem doing that. I just don't. Um, so the one thing that you may have discourse over Yes, he inherited some pictures that you know just weren't able to consistently be good. They'd have moments where they were good, and they'd have moments where they were bad. And in the biggest moment, they weren't good. Um, but there will be a lot of questions about the defensive issues with LSU's 962 fielding percentage, the lowest since 2007. And that was the last season before Paul Maneri took over. So... Fans are going to want to see improvement in that area immediately and in the pitching staff immediately. And that's just the way it goes when you play baseball in front of this rabid fan base of LSU. Plain and simple. So uh, we shall see. We shall see what happens along those lines. Um, but a season that ended up with 40 wins. Um, and, you know, you always want more. You're never happy. UL fans aren't happy. UL players and coaches aren't happy. Uh, McNeese Cowboy fans aren't happy. Their players aren't happy. Uh, so that's all right. That's all right. Um, fueled by the Miami Heat's um, pretty darn good run. Uh, Miami Heat president Pat Riley says he has no plans of ending his Hall of Fame career anytime soon. Made clear clear of that in the midst of his annual end of the season news conference. He said, "Quote: I'm 77 years old, and right now I can do more push-ups than you can do right now." Riley said, challenging a reporter 
to a push-up contest. If you want to go to the mat, let's go. So his competitive nature, um, pretty good. So we'll see what the Heat does in the offseason. The NBA draft is right around the corner. We've got uh, uh, game three of the finals coming up tomorrow night um, as the series shifts to Boston with the series tied at a game apiece. Um, It has been a tale of two games. Uh, Game one, Celtics came out and just wore out the Nets and wore out the Warriors in the fourth quarter. In game two, the Warriors wore out the Nets and wore out the Celtics in the third quarter. So uh, we'll see what happens. Both teams have proven uh, that they are capable of winning on the road. The Celtics certainly have uh, by far. Steph Curry leading the way, averaging 26 points a game. Jason Tatum of the Celtics averaging 27 points per game. Uh, The two stars of stars are getting it done, and both teams really – other than Andre Iguodala, who's on a day-to-day basis with the Warriors, everybody else is basically good to go. So um, a blowout win for the Celtics in game one by 12, a blowout win by the Warriors in game two by 19. When are we going to have one of those down-to-the-wire jobs? Well, we, we shall see. Game three coming up tomorrow night tiger woods will not play in the u.s open he's going to set its sights for the british open at st andrews uh and the live tour gets underway with dustin johnson playing phil mickelson playing but those being allowed to come back and play in the u.s open so there you go all right um let's see here uh today is a day that you're going to join and sign up for the game clubhouse right Not only is it free to join, but you'll get the chance to enter to win tremendous free gifts like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse, mouth-watering steaks cooked to perfection, tremendous size, and so much more. You can only score that $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. So why don't you go and sign up today? We'll take a time out here. We come back. The Black and Gold Report with Bob Rose of the Saints News Network. We'll talk Saints and the NFL here on the Jordy Helfert Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for LSU Tiger Sports. It's time for Jordy to march into some New Orleans Saints talk with Saints News Network's Bob Rose. Here is the Black and Gold Report with Bob Rose. Here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Good afternoon, Robert. How are you on this uh, Tuesday, June the 7th, my friend? Happy Tuesday to you, my friend. Uh, I am doing pretty well. I mean, it's it, it, there's a summer feel in the air. Don't get any better than that. <laughs> it's hot as Hades down here right now, but that, look, I'll take it. Um, I'll take that rather than the cold. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Saints, OTA, mandatory OTA is about to begin. I think about six teams have already uh, begun theirs, uh, and the Saints will be very – when is the Saints mandatory OTA? Uh, it's next week. Uh, the next exact week. date uh, escapes me off the top of my head, uh, but you know it, it's within the ne- 
within the next week. So we're not even talking a full week from now. Okay, very good. Um, apparently about 10 and a half, 10.6 million available in cap space. Mm-hmm. Are we done? There's some names out there now. There, there's some names and potentially some other names that, that will pop up through the, the rest of this summer leading up into the into fall camp. Uh, are, do you think the Saints are done? No. No, I don't, Jordy. Uh, mainly because the Saints never seem to be done. Okay. Uh, and I realize that Sean Payton is no longer there, but the, the, the rest of the regime over the last 16 seasons remain. Uh, and you know, we have seen already that they are going to keep that aggressive mentality. Uh, if they perceive a hole in their roster or they see a player out there that fits with what they want to do, then they're going to go after them. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if there were no further moves made before training camp. Uh, I know you know, depth at running back scares a lot of people, lack of depth, depth at running back scares a lot of people, myself included. Uh, there's some questions at linebacker position and uh, defensive tackle as well. I just get the, the impression that the Saints want to see what they have out of their young players at those positions and some other spots uh, you know, before they necessarily go big name hunting. Uh, I'm not ruling it out because, like you said, names like Indomitian and Sue, yeah. uh, Quan Alexander are still out there. Uh, the ever-present Odell Beckham Jr., uh, who wouldn't – I'd be shocked if uh, OBJ yeah. gets signed by anybody before camp because his knee injury is going to keep him out for at least half the year anyway. Saints went after Indomitian and Sue pretty hard back in 2018, I believe yeah. it was, before he signed with the Rams. He's got a lot of um, – a lot of the tread is off the tire, so to speak. But um, for a guy that wouldn't have to play every down, would you take a flyer on that possibly? Oh, I sure would. Uh, I would actually take Sue over OBJ at this point. Uh, you know, and not because one player is more talented than the other. I am just looking at overall fit for the New Orleans Saints right now. Uh, and first of all, let's be fair. There are no substantiated rumors saying that the Saints are interested in Sue or vice versa. Right, right. Uh, but this is a social media welling. Uh, and you know, people like you and me, we're doing our job by trying to leave no no stone unturned. But yeah, I think Ndamukong and Sue would be a great fit on this team. Like you said, he's not nearly the player that he once was. Uh, but we saw even in a on a fairly limited snap, the lowest snap count of his career last year with the Buccaneers. He is still an effective player uh, and uh, he would be used at a situational basis on the inside, a defensive tackle for a team like the New Orleans Saints. But with as much depth and talent as the Saints have uh, on that defensive line, you tell me that Sue can't be productive for t- you know, 10, 12, 15 snaps a game uh, and you know, he, he would you. probably be fresh for down the stretch. Who's a notable free agent uh, available running back? Who's at the top of the list? Is there one? Not really. Uh, yeah, David Johnson uh, out of Arizona is a is a pretty name. Uh, or not, I said Arizona. I meant Houston Texans. Uh, yeah, but yeah, DJ has not been the same over the last three or uh, two or three seasons. Uh, outside of that. I like Jordan Howard. Uh, yeah, he he's a real was a real talented runner for the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. Uh, between the tackles, guy, uh, but some decent, solid athleticism. Uh, if you want a guy that brings a little bit more versatility, Jarek McKinnon for you, yeah, latest of the Chiefs, uh, is still out there. That gives you a pass catching threat out of the backfield. Uh, but like I said, that's a position that I think the Saints are going to want to see 
A, they're going to want to wait to see how Kamara's hearing in early August plays out. Uh, and B, uh, they have you know, Abram Smith, uh, the undrafted rookie, and two more young guys and Tony Jones and uh, yeah, Divino Zigbo. Uh, I, I just have a feeling that Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael want to see what they have with those guys rather than, I mean, we saw them you know, engage interest in Sony Michelle, but outside of that, if they bring in another running back, I can't see it happening until uh, other teams start releasing players mid way through preseason. Uh, Bob Rose, Saints News Network with the Black and Gold Report. I saw where the other day the Saints added another offensive lineman to the mix, uh, Kalik Washington out of Southern Miss. It puts them at like 92 players on the roster. I thought you could only have 90. What's, what the heck's going on here? Uh, they'll undoubtedly release uh, yeah, at least two players, as you pointed out. Uh, I don't remember exactly when the date is that they have to do so. Uh, best guess would probably be before they officially start the OTAs. Uh, you know, so, yeah, like you said at the onset of the show, the Saints are never quite done. Most NFL mm-hmm. teams are never quite done. Uh, you know, we have seen them have great success uh, with offensive linemen that the general public has not heard of. Uh, and unfortunately, I can't tell you very much about Washington myself. Uh, I don't remember whether it was our John Hendricks or Kyle Mosley that wrote uh, that uh, put out the write up on him. Uh, but yeah, you know, Southern Miss is a is a notable football school, uh, and as we you know, as we've seen. New Orleans has had success with offensive linemen that seemingly come out of nowhere. So I, I give every one of them a chance. All right. Bob Rose, Saints News Network. Um, we know who the Saints stars are, but every team has a set of stars, right? Uh, it's it's that second tier, those unsung, unheralded players that basically hold the key to your success because it's a team game and you can't be lacking in certain positions, areas on the team um, besides the quarterback, the running back, the wide receivers, the the defensive backs, the pass rushers, who are some of the Saints' unheralded players that you think need to perform and perform well for this team to get where we think they can go? I appreciate you bringing that up. Uh, and uh, obviously you're referring to the piece on the yeah. Saints News Network that I put out about an hour or two ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah listen. Everybody, most people anyway, should know about the Cam Jordans, the Mario Davises, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, Marshawn Lattimore. But outside of that, it's the depth that make up the backbone of this team, like you mentioned. Uh, and you know, no disrespect to Marcus Davenport, Paulson Adebo, or uh, Pete Warner, who I all I believe all three are about to take a major step forward this year. But yeah, this article I wanted to focus on guys that are have been playing at Pro Bowl levels the last couple of years, but nobody talks about in the national media. Okay. Uh, and you know, I focused on uh, Eric McCoy at center, uh, yeah, Deontay Hardy. Uh, you know, wide receiver specifically for his kick return abilities, though. Uh, and then D- uh, 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 David Onyemata uh, on defense. Uh, and, of course, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Now, everybody recognizes Gardner-Johnson uh, you know, for, for his uh, exploits uh, and ability to get inside opponent's head. I think people sleep on how good a player, not only that uh, Gardner-Johnson is, but all four of those guys are. Uh, and I just think that they carry the key 
uh, you know, to how well the Saints do this year. They're just they've been underrated performers for the last three, two, three, four seasons, uh, and all four of them, uh, you know, coincidentally, are coming into a contract year. And I just think they're so crucial to this team's success. McCoy, very, very critical. They traded up to get him uh, mm-hmm. out of the draft. He was a guard at Texas A&M, and he, he replaced um, the retired Max Unger at center. So he made the transition seamlessly. Um, and has held that spot from day one to now. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, And even when the Saints drafted Cesar Ruiz a year later, a lot of us thought that they would move Ruiz, who was the center at Michigan, uh, into the middle and move McCoy out uh, yeah, to the to one of the guard spots mm-hmm. where, like you said, he was uh, he played throughout college. But that's how good Eric McCoy has been. Uh, they didn't want to move him out of center. They didn't even give Ruiz many starting reps at center because you know that McCoy is the their guy. Uh, and yeah, to me, I think it's criminal that he hasn't been you know considered for the Pro Bowl in the last two years. He's such a smart guy, Eric McCoy is. Uh, yeah, he's the one that makes the uh, the offensive line calls. Uh, you know, once he recognizes the you know, defensive alignments, blitzes, etc. Uh, and there aren't many centers even in this day and age of the National Football League, they can get outside on screen passes and edge runs as quickly and effectively as McCoy can. Uh, yeah, he's fairly undersized for an interior lineman, you know, only 300, 305 <laughs> pounds. Right. Uh, but, yeah, but, man, that guy is a bully in the middle, too. Uh, yeah, the, the Saints running game, even as athletic as Alvin Kamara is, He's still a cutback runner. A lot of those rushes come over guard or tackle where Kamara is looking for cutback lanes. Well, who do you think gives them those cutback lanes? Yeah, it all starts yeah. with 78 Eric McCoy in the middle. You got to you got to have players up front and he is on the offensive side. And all you have to say about David Anyamata, he was kind of a project. But when you let Sheldon Rankins, uh, Rankins and Malcolm uh, Brown go to other teams, uh, that tells you what they think of David Anyamata. He's he's gotten better each and every year. Yeah, yeah, you're you're truly right. Uh, and you mentioned Brown and you know, Rankins. All three of those defensive tackles, you know, came up for contract renewal about the same time. Uh, and with the deal that Rankins ended up getting, uh, and Brown is getting now with the Jacksonville Jaguars, I believe, uh, they actually had to pay David Onyemata more of a yearly salary. Mm-hmm. Now that contract is coming up, uh, yeah, as we said before. Uh, but you know, Onyemata is just such an underrated defensive presence. Uh, he's the most accomplished defensive tackle on the roster but he doesn't get nearly enough credit for how disruptive he is in the middle uh you know woefully underrated as a run defender uh yeah and the sack numbers might not show it but he's an extremely disruptive and ferocious pass rusher too uh the guy gets double and triple teamed on a constant basis yet he still lives makes a living in the opposing backfield that's the one thing i'm i i I just got to get more consistency in uh not not sacking the quarterback but affecting the quarterback getting mm-hmm. more pressure whether it be up the middle from the outside I just I, I think that's an area that I'm not sold on yet I know the talent's there I'm just not sold on it yet can Davenport be consistent is Cam Jordan gonna turn back time a little bit and can Anyamata, uh you know he missed those six games with the substance abuse issue his numbers went down after that because he missed so much time so Man, they got to get better up front. Uh, they got to live up to the billing, in my in my interpretation. 
Oh, you! I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, you know, Davenport has to put together a healthy season. Is you know Cam going to be able to continue to defy Father Time? Uh, what kind of player? Peyton Turner. Uh, you know, I love the skill set, but he hasn't done it on an NFL field yet because he was hurt most of last year. Uh, and then, like you said, Onyemata's numbers were down. Uh, we know how good all of those players can be, uh, but we've not seen them all do it at the same time. Uh, and that's scary to think about when you consider how good this defensive line has still been over the last yeah. few years. We haven't even talked about Passigno or Granderson uh, you know, supplying depth uh, or Tuttle as a run defender mainly because it starts with Onyemata, Davenport, and, you know, and Cam uh, up front. You know, those other pieces are you know, quality, complementary pieces, but your stars have to be able to, uh, to be the ones that create constant disruption. You might have the best defensive secondary in the whole league. Well, let's take a time out here. Um, Bob Rose, Saints News Network, the Black and Gold Report. Uh, when we come back, who's going to be the next star that uh, makes uh, – makes his bank account a lot fuller because um, one player on the Super Bowl winning ball club just got an extension and wait till you hear these numbers. We'll talk about that more when we return. This is the Jordy Helpert Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. We are your source for Astros baseball and your home for LSU sports. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. June 7th, 1966. The New York Mets pass on taking future Hall of Fame slugger Reggie Jackson with the number one overall pick in the draft. The Mets instead select Antelope Valley High School catcher Steve Chilcott. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, welcome back. 35 minutes after the hour, we continue the Black and Gold Report, all things NFL, with a with a main emphasis, of course, on uh, the New Orleans Saints. On Monday, defensive tackle Aaron Donald agreed to an extension to remain with the Los Angeles Rams and make him the highest paid non-quarterback in the NFL. Uh, the Rams reworked Donald's deal to give him a $40 million <laughs> raise over the last three years of his existing contract. Total value, $95 million over three years, including $65 million guaranteed in the first two years of the contract. Wow. Um, Bob Rose. Um Aaron Donald, in in the way football is, he's a top-tier player. He deserves the money, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I would say that he does. Uh, you know, be, because before break, you and I had just gotten done talking about how important David Onyemata is to the Saints' defense because of the interior disruption that he creates. Well, there is no more, uh, no better interior disruptive player than Aaron Donald. Uh, that you can make a case for Aaron Donald being the best defensive lineman in all of pro football, and you wouldn't get much argument from me. Uh, I think he calls it quits today, uh, and obviously he's not. So, yeah, as difficult as it is to wrap your head around those financial numbers, I think if you're the L.A. Rams, you have to pay Donald to keep him in. Uh, as long as he's playing anywhere close to his prime, uh, yeah, he is a difference maker for your entire defense. Uh, and he, he single-handedly makes the Rams a championship contender on that side of the ball as far as I'm concerned. Should the NFL have a salary cap? 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I believe they do. Uh, they should rather, uh, because you know we've already seen you know several general managers, Mickey Loomis being the best of them, uh, you know, with the ability to circumvent that uh, without it affecting their roster adversely too much. Uh, and I think if you get rid of the salary cap altogether, it will it, it will just be completely chaotic. Uh, you know, the Donald Snyder's and Jerry Jones's they they would they would run amok. Should they have a separate salary cap for big money players? So, so each team gets five players and they can pay them like a like an Aaron Rodgers, like, a, you know, Michael Thomas, whatever that produce and, and pay them what they want. But that doesn't count against the salary cap of your of the majority of your team. Therefore, you can pay some players a little bit more other than. You know, look, you get these top paid players and they own such a big percentage of the salary cap. You know, you bring up an interesting point and it's something that kind of crossed my mind, uh, you know, two or three years ago. Uh, you know, when I forget which quarterback you know, first broke the 30 million dollar uh, average per year barrier. Uh, but at that point, I began you know, kind of thinking the same way. Uh, and at first I said, well, yeah, the quarterback should be exempt from the sal- you know, salary cap number. Uh, but now I'm thinking that each team, you know, it, 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 piggybacking off your theory, each team should have one exempt player from the salary cap. Uh, and okay. I believe uh, that that would give an opportunity for veteran stars to play a little bit longer. Uh, and yeah, I, I don't think that this, you know, the certain teams, mainly big market teams would be able to run rough shot at that point, because you would still have some structure to the system. Okay. Makes sense. I, I like that. Five was an exaggeration. One sounds, sounds really, really good to me. And then you'd be able yeah, to one, keep uh, the- even a couple, you know, maybe yeah. you know, a quarter quarterback and one other exemption, uh, you know, with a cap on those two, you know, at those two positions. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, so that way, you know, you, you don't see hundred million dollar a year guys, uh, you know, things like that. But, uh, you know, some, something to tweak the system a little bit, I think that would you know, it keep the competitive balance and parity throughout the league. Aaron Donald re-upping with the Rams. Do the, does, where do you put them in the, in the conversation of uh, the NFC and, and heading back to the playoffs and on a possible another Super Bowl run? I, Rams are at the top of the heap for me. Uh, you know, they, they lost very little this off season. Uh, I know they lost a couple of big names, uh, you know, Von Miller, you know, first and chief among them. Uh, they did a great job replacing, uh, you know, Odell Beckham, uh, you know, who would have been hurt anyway, uh, you know, with Allen Robinson, uh, you know, they, they lost Robert Woods at wide receiver who was hurt at the end of the year, but I think Woods, Woods is an extremely underrated guy. I'll be interested to see how well the Rams fill the retirement of tackle Andrew Whitworth. Uh, but they brought in Bobby Wagner. Uh, the, the, the Rams amuse me because they just say, you know, uh, yeah, heck, heck with the NFL draft. Uh, yeah, we're just going to keep recycling these veterans. So far, it has not caught up with them. They're getting these veterans, you know, bringing them in while they're still hungry uh, and still playing at least near the top of their capabilities. I realize the NFC West is a juggernaut. I don't think that that's as tough a division as what people are making it out to be, but it's still going to be tough. Uh, you know, so yeah, if the season started today, the Rams have to be the NFC favorite to repeat and probably among the top two, three, four teams at the lowest for, you know, to, uh, to come out as Super Bowl champ. 
Bob Rose, Saints News Network. I don't know what's going on with the Chicago Bears, but first-year coach Matt Eberfluss and general manager Ryan Poles, apparently they don't care about rules and regulations because they keep having contact in practices, and the NFL says you can't do that. And so after requesting video, which showed it, the Bears were forced to cancel their their OTA that was scheduled for today. Um, I bet you the fans are loving this coach. Yeah, I don't care what the rules are. We're going to hit. We're going to be the the monsters of the midway again. Yeah, and you know me. I love the old school mentality. Uh, but by them doing that, in, in a manner, it kind of costs their team an extra workout. Uh, and when you have a new coach, new systems, and so many young players that the Bears have brought in to try to rebuild uh, you know, whatever they had had before, uh, you know, by not following the rules, you kind of took – you took you took a step forward, but then you took two steps back. I do expect the Bears to come in with that aggressive mentality. So if you're an old school fan, uh, you know, like myself, you you gotta love the mentality uh, that the coaching staff is approaching this particular team with. Uh, and it, the NFL is just a better league when the monsters of the midway uh, are, are relevant, aren't they? And I would just I would just love for a team in the NFC North to just uh, to be able to, to beat up and rough up my, uh, my good friend, number 12 up there in green Bay. I'm with you. Um, I'm looking at, you know, quarterback is such the key position, the AFC West, Pat Mahomes, Kansas city, Russell Wilson, Denver, Justin Herbert, uh, the chargers, Derek Carr with the Raiders. I, I don't know if there's ever been a division with, better quarterbacks within the confines of that division. Can you, I mean, I can't think of one. There've been some, you know, maybe two really, really good ones uh, and two not so good, but man, that's three, four pretty good ones in that division, man. Yeah. And you know, they're all, uh, you, know, you and I have both spoke out loud about, you know, Russell Wilson perhaps being on the decline. Uh, but I think, I, I think beyond that, you're talking about all four quarterbacks, you know, in or very, very close to their prime. Uh, and Herbert and Mahomes in particular are, you know, are still young. They're not even, you know, you could make a case for them not even being in the prime of their career yet. Uh, you know, so yeah, I, I could probably name, you know, uh, in divisions with two, even three top flight quarterbacks, but four like this division has, uh, you know, I think you'd be hard, hard pressed. Uh, it, it's going to be it, the AFC West is going to be fun, fun, fun football to watch this year. I see where Rob Walton, the heir to the Walmart fortune is spending his money. Um, he's going to become the owner of the Denver Broncos for a mere can of corn, 4.5 billion with a b 4.5 billion i don't know what to say i i don't either uh yeah if, if he can afford to throw that kind of money i think maybe walmart should lower their prices a little bit uh but then again you know walmart's prices are why he can uh, afford to shell out 4.5 billion it's just it's crazy because it's just on a whole other level uh of what a person like me can even wrap your head around uh i'm not gonna make even you know, a, a small fraction of that in my entire <laughs> life which is a little bit depressing yeah, uh, yeah to, to admit out loud well well apparently to make the deal work uh according to the wall street journal uh walton sold a plot of land in aspen colorado 
for $30.8 million. I want to see what that property looks like. Is that where they filmed Yellowstone or something? I mean, my gosh, $30.8 million. It could be, and I mean, you know, Aspen is world famous for you know, for its ski lodges and you know, and skiing and snow sports, uh, but for pro- any property to be that amount, uh, and it, it's nowhere near a beach. It's no, it's not a, a, a resort <laughs> island, uh, which is what would attract my attention. But yeah, hey, listen, you know, good, good for him. Uh, and the Denver Broncos, a team that I grew up, you know, rooting very, very hard for. I hope that, you know, that that Walton and the entire ownership group can get this franchise back on track because they haven't been the same in the last five, six, seven years. I read a story where um, Mr. Bolin, who owned the um, Broncos, upon John Elway's retirement, offered him kind of a, a stake, partial ownership of the club. Uh, and it was kind of a no risk, a lot of reward thing, but Elway opted out of it. If he had kept on to that percentage, he'd have made $900 million at the close of this deal. $900 million. My goodness gracious. Anyway. Yep. And, yeah, and, and Mr. Elway, uh, you know, John Elway, who is the reason that I grew up a Denver Bronco fan, uh, uh, immediately upon his retirement engaged. And rather than taking that deal uh, and, and becoming part of uh, minority owner of the Broncos with Pat Bowen, who he is was good friends with until Mr. Bowen passed away. Uh, Elway instead ventured out on, you know, three or four you know, b- business deals that nearly made him bankrupt. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he had to, he had to recover ironically by taking a job back with the Denver Broncos in, in right. the front office. That's right. Got in that car dealerships and, uh, well, you got to know what you're doing. That's all I can say. Um, is there any, when when OTA mandatory OTAs begin next week, um, what are we looking for? Who who are we looking to see from an injury perspective, uh, other than Michael Thomas? That's that's case number one. Is there anybody else that we're wondering how they're you know Andrus Pete wasn't it uh, the the OTA that wasn't mandatory didn't have to be there, but right. I always worry about his health. Is there anybody else that's an issue? I think you gotta you gotta wonder how Peyton Turner, uh, you know, is recovered. Uh, you know, granted he didn't blow out, you know, uh, PT didn't blow out his ACL or Achilles, knock on wood, Achilles or anything like that. Uh, but anytime a rookie or a top end player misses all or most of the season, uh, you know, especially when you haven't really got to see what he can truly do on a football field yet. Uh, you know, you have to be concerned. Is this going to be a, a, a recurring problem for him? Uh, you know, so, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking at Peyton Turner. Uh, you know, other than that, obviously, all eyes are going to be on Jameis Winston to see if he continues to progress uh, you know, while recovering from that knee injury. But, yeah, I'm with you. I, I would doubt we see much, if anything, from Andrus Pete, much, if anything, from Michael Thomas. Those guys are still at the facility, around the facility, and rehabbing. Uh, but this team doesn't need them yet. All right, Bob Burrows, Saints News Network. Anything else that we didn't touch on? I not that I can think of. You yeah. are the you are the most thorough guy in the business. So I don't know about that, I but uh, everything. But you always have the right answer. So uh, let's let's just leave it at that, man. You go have a uh, a great uh, rest of your Tuesday and week, and we'll talk to you next week. But it's always fun. Thank you so much. For sure, have a terrific Tuesday, my friend. All right. 
Next week to the Jordy Holtberg Show for the Black and Gold Report with Bob Rose. Here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Here's three pieces of advice to live by. Never play cards with a guy whose last name is a state. Don't spit into the wind. And always listen to the Jordy Holtberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Trail, T-R-A-I-L, is putting on a free all-day event this Saturday at Cafe 20.3 at 1500 General Mouton. In addition to free paddling, there will also be a party featuring live music to help out the Mile Zero Heroes by raising awareness and funds to build the new Teat Fur Park and Boat Launch at Mile Zero of the Vermilion River. Wow, that's a mouthful. Donations and sponsorships are welcome. Trail will match up to 20000 in donations. For more information, visit www.latrail.org. Uh, one of the lines of the day... Uh, about Jake Johnson was um, Richard Jr. Drew Bianco um, said yesterday, quote, I could see them have to put another intimidator up just because of what he's going to do at LSU. I think they got the right man. I don't think there's any question about that. You can just see the intensity. You saw players playing hard for him, playing hard for each other, playing hard for their families, all those things. You could just see it. There was never quit. There was never die. There was never, oh, it's over. They kept fighting and fighting and fighting. And I've got to believe that if he could go to the portal and get some of the players that he got offensively, he can go to the portal and get pictures. And he's got young pictures coming in with with another top flight um, recruiting class. So I think I think all's in all's in good shape with that. Uh, I really do. I thank our guest today, Glenn West from uh, Go247 Sports with his thoughts on LSU baseball. Now we shift our focus to LSU football. Uh, DraftKings has the Tigers winning seven. <laughs> Pet the over. Pet the over. I think people in this league are going to be shocked at how Brian Kelly turns this thing around and does it quickly. I really believe that. Um Blake Topmeyer with his thoughts on uh, it's going to be a nine-game schedule. I don't know there's any doubt. It's going to be three every year teams that you play, and and I believe it's going to be Alabama. I believe it's going to be Texas A&M, and I would keep Ole Miss. I don't want Arkansas. I could care less about Arkansas. But Ole Miss has a lot of history. Bama is a, is a ratings bonanza, and A&M is just a rival. That seven overtimer and all, it's just it's just a rival. And the, the fact that LSU wanted Jimbo, Jimbo didn't want LSU, Jimbo goes to I, I just I just think that's a, that's a natural. So we'll see. And Bob Rose of the Saints News Network. James, thank you so much for all you do. Tomorrow, Michael Huguenin will join us. We'll preview uh, game three of the NBA Finals and so much more. Thanks to all of you for listening in in whatever form or fashion that you do. Thanks to our partners that make it possible each and every day. So come on back tomorrow, same time, two to four, same great stations, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for 
LSU, and the Astros. So until then, I am Jordy Helpert. Stay thirsty, my friends. Do everything you possibly can to stay healthy, my my friends. Uh, Be kind to one another. Let's all be happy. Have a great day. We'll see you and talk to you tomorrow. So long, everybody.